Praise the Lord, everybody. You can be seated just for a moment. Uh, this is not relative to my lesson today, but just an addendum to Brother Hale's commentary. I hope you really grab the hold of what he was saying, because I've seen so many people lose their relationship with God as a product of an improper expenditure of their faith. You know, the Bible says that God has given every man the measure of faith. Now, I taught you yesterday, you've got to understand, there's just a whole lot encapsulated in that little statement. You see, when God birthed you into this thing called a church, he who has declared the end from the beginning saw every negative experience that you were going to have to go through and he measured into you the amount of faith that was going to be necessary to take you through all of those things. But then he expects us to steward that faith. And when we willingly put ourselves into places where we have to use faith that God intended for us to use in other areas, then when we get to those areas where the faith that he gave us was supposed to be used, sometimes we've already expended it, and then we're in trouble. So, uh, anyhow, I'm telling you, uh, Brother Huntley said the theme of this camp meeting has been changed, and uh, it has been, I want to tell you, I've never, Sister Mullins and I have never been anywhere we've been treated any nicer than we have here. And I want to thank all of you folks. You're just so kind to us. And I don't know if I've ever been in any two meetings, church services, that have impacted me personally any more than these last two nights. And, and I, want to, uh, I want to thank Brother Huntley for being uh, in tune with the Holy Ghost. Uh, my folks, if you can if you can get a hold of what he was preaching to us last night, goodness, uh, this day is designed for us. The world has orchestrated itself to bring great apostolic revival because we are the only thing in this world that's real. In fact, this is no bearing on what I'm going to teach today, but Brother Huntley was preaching last night. Uh, my mind went to it, and I went back to the room and dug through a bunch of stuff, and I did happen to bring it with me. I don't know if you, need, if you know who Michael Crichton is. He's a noted author of our day, written many books, and they've turned several of them into movies and television programs and all of that. And he's a, he's a heathen, doesn't believe in God, doesn't... Uh, uh, but... I was flying somewhere some months ago and always tried to take a book with me and I forgot it. And didn't have one. I get bored on airplanes. So somebody had left a magazine stuck in the pocket of the seat and I just was flipping through it. And I came across something that he said and I probably shouldn't have, but I tore the page out and took it with me because I wanted it. And this is what this very wealthy, very noted, very influential writer of secular novels and movies and what have you said about our day he said ask yourself 
What is the dominant mode of experience in the 21st century? How do people see things and how do they expect to see things? The answer is simple. In every field, from business to politics to marketing to education, the dominant mode has become entertainment. Today, everybody expects to be entertained, and they expect to be entertained all the time. Business meetings must be snappy with bullet lists and animated graphics so that executives aren't bored. Malls and stores must be engaging so that they amuse as well as sell us. Politicians must have pleasing video personalities and tell us only what we want to hear. Schools must be careful not to bore young minds that expect the speed and complexity of television. Students must be amused. Everyone must be amused or they'll switch. Switch brands, switch channels, switch parties, switch loyalties. This is the intellectual reality of Western society in the 21st century. In other centuries, human beings wanted to be saved or improved or freed or educated. But in our century, they want to be entertained. The great fear is not of disease or of death, but of boredom. A sense of time on our hands, a sense of nothing to do, a sense that we are not amused. But where will this mania for entertainment end? What will people do when they get tired of television, when they get tired of movies? We already know the answer. They go into participatory activities, sports, theme parks, amusement rides, roller coasters, structured fun, planned thrills. And what will they do when they tire of theme parks and planned thrills? Because sooner or later, the artifice becomes noticeable. And they begin to realize that an amusement park is really a kind of jail in which you pay to be an inmate. The artifice will seek them, will drive them to seek reality. Reality will be the buzzword of the 21st century. And what is real? Anything that's not devised and structured to make a profit, anything that's not controlled by corporations, anything that exists for its own sake, that assumes its own shape. But, of course, nothing in the modern world is allowed to assume its own shape. The modern world is the corporate equivalent of a formal garden where everything is planted and arranged for effect, where nothing is untouched, where nothing is authentic. Where, then, will people turn for the rare and desirable experience of reality? It's our day, Brother Huntley. They're looking for us, and we think, we think that they're out there because they got a chip on their shoulder against Pentecost. They don't even know we're here. Hello? Amen. We, we really need the Lord to help us. Amen. Let's sing a chorus. I am blessed. You know that? Let's do that. Let's stand and just sing to the goodness of the Lord, and then we'll hurry quickly into the word of the Lord, and I'll hurry every chance I get. But uh, need the Lord to help us today. I'll just wherever it's best to sing it. I am blessed, oh, I am blessed, oh, every day that I live, I am blessed, oh, when I wake up in the morning. There I 
more time. Hallelujah. Father, we magnify you, great Savior. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. 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 My goodness. There is nothing that compares with the sweet presence of God. Hallelujah. Mm. I'm asking the Lord to help me today to guide my steps and guard my mouth. I'm going to uh, probably come as a, more in a teaching mode again today if I am capable of it. Um, but I'd like to take you, if you would go with me, to an obscure little passage of Scripture found in the book of Acts chapter 2. And uh, I'd like to use our sugar stick this morning, but perhaps in a little different vein than we normally do this. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. You shouldn't have any trouble getting there. Everybody said amen says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. The same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. I want to take my lesson setting this morning from that 40th verse of Acts chapter 2. With many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, and it's this phrase that I want to teach from today, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Would you pray with me that the Lord will help me get in my mouth what I have in my heart today? 
Father, in your precious name, we come to you, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God, you are so good. God, you are so good. God, you are so good. Amen. Everybody said in Jesus' name. Bless you. You may be seated. And again, it is good to have Sister Mullings with me and this lovely lady sitting on the front row. I'm sure Brother Huntley's happy to have his wife here and Brother Hale's wife and heard something the other day that probably pretty adequate uh, said one man was praying he's a little frustrated with his wife and he was praying talking to God and he said God I just want to know why you made her so pretty and said for the first time in his life God spoke back to him and he said so that you would love her he said well then God why did you make her so dumb he said so she'd love you Well, hallelujah. <laughs> Truth hurts. And he said, save yourselves from this untoward generation. You know, I told you yesterday, the scripture tells us that it pleased God to choose the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so it is incumbent upon us to, when the word of the Lord is being ministered, to be very intent and very in tuned with what's going on. You, you may tune out the choir and get by. You may tune out the special singer. You may tune out the testimonies, but you better not tune out the word of the Lord. But... The prophet looked down the corridors of time and saw a great tragedy in our day and he saw a famine existent in the people of God. And the sad thing was that it was not a famine for the preaching of the word of the Lord. I thought last night as Brother Huntley was preaching and a couple of years ago I was at a convention in our district and Brother Hale preached an unbelievable message. And my mind went back to that and other men that I've heard. I believe with all of my heart that the greatest preachers that have ever lived are in the United Pentecostal Church today. I, I, don't, think, I don't think the preachers, many of them in our movement, would have to tuck their head in the presence of Paul or Peter or any of the rest of those. But the prophet did not see a famine for the preaching of the word of the Lord. He saw a famine for the hearing of the word of the Lord. And no matter how great the message or the lesson or whatever, eventually I must do more with the Word of God than just hear it in, through the auditory senses or sit there and critique it and try to read between the lines and figure out what the preacher was really saying or what he really was and just analyze and, and dissect the message or the lesson. Eventually I've got to to catch it in my spirit and and it becomes more than just what is taught because there's a lot of things that are taught that are never caught and it doesn't matter how great the teaching or the preaching is until I catch it in my spirit in such a way that it begins to control and 
to govern my living, my conduct, my character, my attitude, and my approach not only to God, but to His people and to His church. We are a part of a generation that is so in tune and knows so much about what men say, but I think it's time we need to wake up and find out what God says about some things. I told you yesterday, John 1 and 12 said, To as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And the him that they were to receive was not referencing the Holy Ghost because the very next verse said to who, those that were born not of flesh nor the will of nor blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. They already had the Holy Ghost, but the, the, the hymn that they needed to receive was referenced in verse number one when it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he said, Once you've got the Holy Ghost, and once you've been birthed into the spirit of uh, the, the family of God, it is incumbent upon you then to incorporate the Word of the Lord into your spirit. And you're living if you ever hope to become a son of God. Which tells me that we are not sons by birth alone. But we are sons according to our behavior as sons. Which is incumbent upon incorporating the word of the Lord. Because if we were sons of God by birth alone. Then, then we would not have to receive power to become. And so he said it is incumbent upon us to incorporate the word of the Lord into our lives and hearts in such a way that it would enables us to go in and come out before him and serve him with reverence and godly fear. Now, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, the first apostolic message is being preached. And he is preaching and as they hear the word of the Lord, they are pricked in their spirit. And of course, we know the rest of the story, but... but when they ask him about this business of reconciling themselves to God and incorporating the grace of God into their lives, he said the, preem, the, the first issue is, is getting the sin question settled, repenting, being baptized, having those sins remitted. And in case I told you yesterday about this, this marvelously compressed and divine compression in the word of the Lord, most of us really don't understand what really takes place in baptism. That's more than a ceremony. It is there that our sins are remitted. Now, in case you don't really understand what that means, every day almost in the mail, you will get something and it will have a monetary figure on it and it will say, please remit. That means send it from where you are to where they are. And that's what happens when we're baptized in Jesus' name. I don't know where he sends them, but God takes those sins off of us and he remits them. He sends them to wherever it is that he plants those nasty things. But he said, you've got to repent. Then you've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. And then you have to be birthed into the family of God by the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But then, hot on the heels of this, he said, and then once you have been birthed again, born again by, by repenting and being baptized and receiving the Holy Ghost, the primary challenge that you're going to contend with is not something that God can do for you. It's something that you're going to have to do for yourself. You're going to have to save yourself from the untoward spirit 
of the generation that you live in. The word that's translated untoward in this verse of Scripture is only used one time in the New Testament. And it's in this particular verse of Scripture right here. It comes from a Greek word which means to be crooked or bent or literally not easily controlled. It simply means a spirit that is given easily to anger. And it is the only time in the New Testament that it's used and Peter places such importance on it that after the new birth, he said this will be the primary challenge of becoming a child of God is to redeem yourself in such a way that you are unaffected by this angry spirit of the generation that you live in. Anger is the source of so much that is wrong in our world. And it has been the source of so much that has been wrong in the midst of the people of God. The very first murder that we have record of in the Word of God was simply a product of a man who succumbed to an angry spirit that acted itself out toward others. We are, we're, we're united Pentecostal, and, and I appreciate what he said, that's not underprivileged children. I, I love this fellowship. I said, I love this fellowship. I don't think we are the bride of Christ, but... But I'm telling you, I think we're a big part of it. And I'm thankful for our positions and our stands. And, and I will be honest with you, this organization is not perfect. And it is not probably going to be in the foreseeable future, Brother Tate, because I'm in it and I ain't leaving. And I, uh, next to the Holy Ghost and Laquita Mullings, the most valuable thing I have is my fellowship card with this organization Maybe it's a little more valuable to me than some people because I had a hard time getting one. I didn't get my license the first time I met the board. They told me I was not called to preach. They told me to go home, behave myself, and help my pastor. Uh, I am today the superintendent of that same district. I don't know if that's poetic justice or whatever, but anyhow. But we as a fellowship have placed great emphasis on certain things and we are so careful at least i hope we are and i'm not implying we should not be but we're so careful to guard ourselves against transgressions against god or against his word and that is so true but sometimes we are so careless in our attitude and our dealing with our brother this is an angry generation that we live in folks in in anywhere in any avenue there is racial anger in our generation there is marital anger i'm telling you I, I i don't my son's pastoring the church now and i feel sorry for him but by the time i stepped out as pastor i was tired of counseling holy ghost filled husbands and wives i don't want to hurt anybody's feelings but dear lord i got i got so weary with husbands and wives that are supposed to have the Holy Ghost that can't get along. And it just, I just got so weary with it. But there's just a, there is an angry spirit in the day that we live in. And, and there's national anger and there's religious anger and there's ethnic anger. And it's just, you can walk the corridors of, of any mall in this city. And if you'll study the faces carefully, especially the younger people, you can see that anger just boiling beneath the surface, just, just looking for something to, to cause it to, to create a vent so that it can express itself. 
And the sad thing is that that angry spirit of the world is trying to insinuate itself into the house of God and in many, in many dimensions it is doing so. I tell you, we, we have an organization and a fellowship and churches full of people that seem to be just looking for a fuss, that are so easily offended that seem to be just walking around with a chip on their shoulder and, and hunting somebody that will brush it off. And if they can't find somebody soon enough, they'll brush it off themselves. Good. I told somebody the other day, I worries me. I don't think they realize that chip probably fell off their head. And all of this against the backdrop of David's assertion that great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Now I know I'm taking that out of con context, and, and the word offend there doesn't speak of an emotional state. It speaks of stumbling or failing of the grace of God. But, but the fact is there, there's a great similarity. And, and invariably, almost invariably, the re result of, of an angry spirit is going to be sin. As I told you before, Cain became angry. He, was, he allowed his spirit to get offended. And when his spirit became offended, the natural consequence of an offended spirit is anger. He became wroth, the Bible says, to the point that it became a part of his spirit. And when it became a part of his spirit, it began to reflect itself outward. And it, it reflected itself against his brother. And the sad thing is, his complaint and his argument and his offense never was with his brother. It was with God. But you see, he couldn't get to God, so his brother was handy. And he rose up against his brother and he slew him. But the sad thing is, it, had, it was because it had gotten in his spirit. It was an anger that had become resident in the spirit of the man. In Psalms chapter 37, verse number 8, David says, Cease from anger, forsake wrath, fret not thyself in any way to do evil. Now the word that's translated cease there is a Hebrew word which literally means to leave or to forsake. And the implication is that it must be an act of one's own will. Brethren, that's not something the Holy Ghost is going to do for me. There's nothing spooky or ethereal about that verse of Scripture. It, it is something that I have to resolve in my own mind. Peter said, this is an area when God cannot help you. You have to save yourself from this angry, untoward spirit of our generation. And it is so important that we understand there are times that we've just got to look an offensive situation in the face and turn and walk away from it. And just choose not to be offended. Because there is a direct relationship between anger and evil. The damage that an angry man or woman do, does to themselves is, is, is awesome. They damage their reputation. I don't know of anything that can damage a preacher's reputation than an uncontrolled spirit of anger. Or a saint's reputation than an uncontrolled spirit of anger. And, and, and ultimately, if that anger resides there long enough, it's going to damage their character. And it, then it will affect their moral fiber. But I think perhaps the saddest of all is that, you know, when we got the Holy Ghost, that's the Spirit of God. 
And there's a, God is transparent. What you see is what you get. I mean, the Bible says he is the same yesterday. The word that's translated same is the third person reflexive pronoun himself. If we were translating the Bible today, that would not say he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It would say he is himself yesterday, today, and forever. He's just God. That's all he knows to be. Doesn't know how to change. I'm God. I don't change. I am just myself. And James said in him, there is no variableness, no shadow of turning. Now, the word that's translated variableness in that verse of Scripture is the Greek word parallax. To help you understand what that is, I don't know if there's any cameras in the building, but if you have a camera here, you probably have the kind I have. Uh, I don't have a single lens reflex. Those are really expensive, and I just don't go there. But in a single lens reflex, when you look through the viewfinder, you are actually looking right through the lens of the camera. So when you snap the shutter, whatever you're looking at is exactly what you're going to get on the film. Most of us buy cameras that, are, that have what is called a parallax viewfinder. In other words, you are looking through a viewfinder and your lens is, is another entity, but they have made an allowance, they have made an adjustment in that viewfinder so that what you're looking at is going to approximate what that lens captures. That's why all of us have had the experience of taking a picture and when we get it back, what's on that picture is not exactly what was in that viewfinder because I know your head was on there when I snapped the picture. But it's a parallax viewfinder. They made an allowance so that it would be pretty close. But James said, when you're dealing with our God, there is no parallax. You don't have to make any allowances with Him. What you see is what you get. What He says is what He's going to do. And as a result of that, when He puts His Spirit in us, He puts a spirit in, in that is akin to that. There's an inherent honesty in people that have the Holy Ghost. And what happens because of that inherent honesty, when a man cannot control his spirit and gives vent to anger, he damages even his own self-respect. In fact, in Proverbs 14 and 17, the wise man said, He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly and this word that's translated foolishly here it also is only used one time in the old testament it's a greek word which literally means to behave oneself in a perverse or a debased manner you know we all have strengths and we all have weaknesses and unfortunately though because we understand where we have weaknesses we often deploy all of our spiritual resources into those areas, defending those areas of our weakness. And we forget that even in the areas that we are strong, we're still flesh. And we're still fragile. Moses, the Bible says, was the meekest man in the earth. That was his area of strength. He was a man who could control his spirit. He was in control of his attitude. He was in control of his conduct. That was his area of strength. And yet, tragically, when Moses failed God, he did not fail God in the area of his weakness. He failed God in the area of his strength. The meekest man in the earth spent 40 days on the mountain with God. God with his own finger wrote his direction and his will for the people on tables of stone and presented them. Oh, what a precious gift, that message from God. 
And Moses comes back down off the mountain and he sees the children of Israel misbehaving themselves. They were wrong. They should not have been doing what they did. But when he saw it, he got mad. And when he got mad, he lost his temper. And when he lost his temper, he broke the law. And when he broke the law, he lost his message. Now I know he got it back, but it didn't come as easy the second time. He had to go back up on the mountain and spend another 40 days. And this time God told him, I'm not writing it for you this time, buddy. You write it for yourself. The word foolishly there literally means to be void of moral principle. No wonder Proverbs 27 and 3, the wise man said, the stone is heavy, the sand is weighty. But a fool's wrath or anger is heavier than them both. You know, I don't mean to give away trade secrets, but we make great commerce. God has provided us in that infinite wisdom of he's provided us a few catch-all scriptures that we can use just about however we want to. And one of them is wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that's set before us. That gives, that gives we pastors a lot of liter literary liberty. Every weight, we can pretty well define whatever we want to. And if y'all love us and have confidence in us, you'll accept that definition because you know that we love your soul and we're just trying to get you to heaven. And yet the Bible clearly defines some weights. And, and the wise men said, sand is heavy, and, or weight, a stone is heavy and sand is weighty. But he said, a man who let a, lets an angry spirit get a hold of him, it's heavier than all of it. He said, it's a burden that few men can bear and be successful. And, and here's the reason. That as I told you, because of that inherent honesty that comes when we get the Holy Ghost, anger will breed in the life and the heart and the spirit of a Holy Ghost-filled man or woman guilt. And that guilt then will breed frustration, which in turn will breed more anger, which in turn will breed more guilt, which in turn will breed more frustration. And it just becomes a vicious cycle. That's why in Ecclesiastes 7 and 9, the wise man said, Anger resteth in the bosom of a fool the word resteth there is in the progressive tense of the verb in the hebrew that means it's an ongoing thing it just compounds upon itself and the longer anger resides there the more of a grip it gets and the more it compounds upon itself and it breeds guilt which breeds frustration which breeds more anger which hello that's why in proverbs 16 and 32 the wise man said a man that can rule his own spirit is better than a warrior that can capture a city. What he's saying is, I don't care if you raise the dead every morning before breakfast. If you can't control your own spirit, God's not impressed. Hello? And I know of no greater dignity, Brother Hale, than a man who can walk through an offensive situation and keep his cool and keep a level head and it requires more than a sovereign move of the Holy Ghost it requires an act of his will because that's something God cannot and will not do he has to save himself from that angry spirit that's why in 1518 of Proverbs the wise men said a wrathful man stir an angry man stirs up strife now 
We are a holiness people. I thank God for that. Amen. But in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 8, Paul writing to his son in the Lord said, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. And then he goes on, he's kind to us, he said, and in case there's any confusion about what holy hands are, they are hands without wrath, anger, and without doubting, which is just the Greek word for arguing or disputing. He said, it's my will that men be holy men, that they lift up holy hands. And I'm telling you that angry men, men that are always involved in some kind of debate or dispute, are always in the midst of convention. I don't care how long their sleeves are. I don't care what they preach against. He said, they're not holy. Because holy men are men are at peace with their brother and at peace with the movement and at peace with the kingdom of God and at, hello, and at peace with themselves. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 14, he goes on, he said, I'll underscore it. I would therefore that men would follow peace with all men and holiness. He marries them together. Holy men are men at peace. Peacemakers are holy men. Men who are without wrath, without anger, whose spirit's not eaten up with disputing and, and debating. Because anger opens a man up to all kinds of hurt. And there is an ever-present opportunity to sin when I have allowed an angry spirit to get a hold of me. That's why in 15.1 of Proverbs, the wise man said, A soft answer turneth. A tender, a forgiving, it's what the Hebrew is, word, turns away wrath. My wife don't like me mentioning this, I can't help it. You know, it's hard to fuss when somebody won't fuss back. First couple of years my wife and I were married, she frustrated the daylights out of me. She would not fuss with me. I would do my best to fight with her. And she would just give me a look that said, you are pitiful. And she'd just go to bed and sleep the sleep of the righteous. And I'd lay there and toss and turn and fume. Until and, finally I realized, you know what? This ain't going to work. She won't fuss. We might as well get along. I might as well just get rid of this angry spirit that I had. Because you can't fight with somebody that won't fight back. The rest of you women need to learn that. Proverbs 19 and 11, the wise man makes an unbelievable statement. He said, The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is the glory of a man to pass over a transgression. Now, understand what that's saying. Brethren, sisters, this entire book, this book that we talked about yesterday and understanding what all this represents and how much has to be condensed and compacted to get it here. This book from Genesis to the maps is an ongoing declaration that all glory belongs to God. 
and constantly warning a man or a woman, be careful. I don't care how good you preach. You better not receive the glory that belongs to God. I don't care how talented you are on the music. You better not receive the glory that belongs to God. You may sing like angels, but you better not receive the glory that belongs to God. I don't care how your level of performance is. It's God's glory. My glory I will not share with another. And over and over, it warns us, don't get caught up in this glory business. It's God's. And yet in this one instance, in this entire book, God puts the brakes on and he stops everything. And he says, I'm going to make one exception to that rule. A man who can pass over, just let it slide. Who can walk through an offensive situation and refuse to let that get in his spirit and just pass over it. He said, I'm going to draw him to the attention of men. And I'm going to let men give him honor and glory because he has saving himself from this untoward spirit of this age. I pastor people and I work with preachers, God forbid, in our district. And sometimes I'm called into situations. You know what I'm talking about, Brother Hale. You pastors are called into situations in your churches where two people get at odds with each other and they're nose to nose and, and you've got to walk in and somehow in the help of the Holy Ghost remedy this thing and mediate this thing. And, and I've walked into situations and we sit down and we start discussing it and, and try to find out what happened. And you realize that what we're dealing with now is not the issue. The issue is something from way yonder back there. And I run into people that, that accumulate offenses like, like some women buy clothes. I mean, it, it's like, I mean, I, their whole life is like a woman trying to get ready for church. And she goes and she stands in front of the closet. And I don't know if I, do I want to wear this today or do I want to. And I, there's, there's ministers and there's saints of God that have let things accumulate in their spirit. And, and it's like a closed closet. You can sit down and talk to them, Brother Rest, and they begin to talk about situations. And you can see them in their mind just slipping through. Oh, man, I remember that offense. And I mean, years after the fact, they could quote verbatim what the man said that offended them. I'll tell you something, those are termites of the soul. They will eat you up. They will drive the Holy Ghost out of your life because angry people are joyless people and joyless people are not saved because the joy of the Lord is our strength. It is with joy we draw water out of the wells of salvation. And when you've lost your joy, you've lost your bucket and angry people don't have any joy. Why back to Hebrews 12, 14 and 15. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God. And he said, I'm going to help you again here. If you don't understand how a man fails of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. And the tragedy is, it doesn't just trouble you, but thereby many are defiled. And unfortunately, the ones that are usually defiled the most of your own are your own kids. You know, in the church where I've pastored all these years, I can tell, I can tell which parents talk in front of their kids. 
Because there's are the kids that are disrespectful. There's are the kids that don't respect the Sunday school teacher. They don't respect the Sunday school superintendent. They don't respect the youth pastor. And they don't even respect me. And, and the sad thing is they don't respect their mother and dad either. Let me tell you something, Mama. Let me tell you something, Daddy. Your kids cannot eat your spiritual vomit and be healthy spiritually. And one thing you better understand about your kids is they have a lot more confidence in you than you think they do. They believe you when you say things. When you tell them the Sunday school teacher didn't treat them right, they believe you. When you tell them the pastor is a jerk, they believe you. When you tell, well, tell them the pastor across town doesn't stand for anything, they believe you. When you tell them the district superintendent is not a fair man, they believe you. And the tragedy is there may come a day in their life when their only hope of salvation depends on one of those people you have poisoned them against. No wonder James said in 1, 19, we need to be swift to hear. We need to be slow to speak and even slower to anger. The greatest damage that is ever done in a church will invariably be something that was said or done in anger. The greatest division that will ever be created in a church will be the product of something said or done and anger and how a man or a woman reveals what anger really reveals the state of the spiritual man in first corinthians chapter 3 verse number 3 paul said for ye are yet carnal that is not a postulation it's a statement of fact for you're carnal for whereas there is among you envy and strife and division are you not carnal and walk as men I'm sorry, angry men are carnal men. They are not spiritual. Hello? And the sad thing in Romans 8 and 6 says carnally minded people, simply put, are going to die. They're not going to make it. They're not going to survive. And we are so concerned, and we should be. And we, we're, we're, on, we're, I mean, we're on the lookout for and Peter, old Simon, used to be anyhow. The word Simon is a Greek word, and, and if you want to do a word study on the name sometime, it, it, uh, the word Simon means someone who has to listen very carefully to understand or who just a, has a little difficulty grasping things. That's where we get the phrase simple Simon, maybe even stupid and uh, that's who he was. We know he's rash, impulsive, did dumb things. But one day, in a sovereign move of the Spirit of God, Jesus is probing the spirit of his disciples and he's, he's searching out their understanding and he say, he's talking about who men say is. But then he poses to them the question, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, somehow in an inspiration, a flash of Holy Ghost understanding, says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but the Spirit of God has dropped this nugget of truth in your heart. And he said, In fact, I am impressed. I am so impressed. We're not going to call you Simon anymore. We're going to call you Peter. Got that, guys? No more Simon. Now it's Peter. Once was dumb. Once had a little time getting a hold on things. Just a little bit stupid. But not anymore. 
Now he's Peter. Oh my God, aren't you glad for the blood of Calvary? Aren't you glad for what God has put under the blood? Aren't you glad that every dumb, stupid thing you ever did is not dangled out every day of your life for everybody to see? Thank you, Jesus. And Peter stands up and in such an eloquent appeal. Oh, I appreciate him. He's appealing for my right to be standing here today preaching this good word of God. He's appealing for my right to be baptized in Jesus' name to get the Holy Ghost. He makes such an eloquent appeal. But let me tell you something, folks. When you let an angry spirit get a hold of you, you're liable to wind up hurting people that you're really for. And he makes this eloquent appeal to the rest of the brethren. How that he preached the message and the Holy Ghost fell on them and they spoke with other tongues like we did. We baptized him in Jesus' name. But, but the argument is raging. And in the midst of all of it, James gets mad. He gets impatient. He gets angry. And his anger and his impatience, he jumps up and says, My God, fellas, even stupid over here has tried to tell you what's... He's on Peter's side. Now, go home and start looking if you want to. But, this is personal supposition, but James reached back and he yanked back out what Jesus had put under the blood. And he said, dear God, fellas, even stupid here has, has told you this and when you flip the page and go to chapter 16 or go to chapter 17 or go to chapter 18 or go as far as you want to, you will never find Peter again in the book of Acts. He has fallen off the face of the earth. And I am persuaded. We know what history says, but we don't know that by the word of the Lord. I'm persuaded that Peter was so hurt and so crushed by the insensitive remark of James that he just, the most, one of the most powerful ministries we have record of in the Word of God was stilled and deafened and deadened by a word spoken in a spirit of anger. That's why later in James 3.16, James says, For where strife is, there's every evil work. You know, he was talking about personal experience. I think James understood what he had done. And he wrote an entire manual for us to help us know how not to do what he had done. You show me a spirit of anger that's constant and ongoing. And I will show you lying. I will show you bitterness. I will show you eventually adultery. Because where strife is, there is every evil work. That's why in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 22, the wise man said, Say not, I will recompense evil. But wait on the Lord and He will save thee. Now I want to tell you something. In that entire 
book of Proverbs and all of that wisdom, that is the only verse of Scripture in that book where the word save is used. And he said, the man I'm going to save is the man that can just pass over a transgression and not take an offense and not get an offended spirit. Didn't say anything about his holiness standard. I'm not saying that's not important. But he said, man that I'm going to save is the man that can pass over transgression. Now, in, in, in one other verse of Scripture, the word saved in the past tense is used. But even then, it says the man that walketh uprightly. And the word uprightly is to be morally sound. He said that man is going to be saved. And when vengeance is in the spirit of a man, that man needs to be saved. That's why in James chapter 3, verse number 17... James says, but the wisdom that is from above. He said, I'm going to tell you, if the wisdom that a man is telling you is dispensing is from God, it has characteristics that you can identify it by, and you have a right to evaluate any wisdom that a man says he is dispensing. And if that wisdom is from above, it is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle. It's easy to be entreated. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's without partiality, and it's out without hypocrisy. If that man is purporting to dispense to you wisdom that is bitter and critical and judgmental and hostile, it's not from God. That's how you tell whether the wisdom that you're receiving is divine wisdom or not. And the outside is totally without merit unless the heart and the spirit are clean and at peace with itself and at peace with others. The Apostle Paul, who without whom we would have very little understanding of even how to live for God and how to be right, in Acts the 24th chapter and the 16th verse, he says, after all is said and done, here's what my objective is. Everything I've preached, everything I've written, everywhere I've gone, and here doing my, do I exercise myself to always have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. He said, if I can accomplish that, I'm not worried about standing before him in judgment. He said, there's not a whole lot that I can control in life. I can't control the brethren in my district. Can't control the people in my church. Like there's only one person really that I do have absolute control over. And that's me. And Brother Hale, I cannot control what you do to me. I cannot control what you say about me. But I have absolute control to how I react to it. Jesus said it cannot be, but that offenses will come. Brother Huntley, you're going to have to walk through some offensive circumstances. But you don't have to be offended. You can save yourself from this untoward spirit. In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 24, this is going to sound harsh, but I'm just telling you what the book said. 22 and 24, please. Make, oh my goodness, make no friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man there shalt not go. Why? 
The next verse. Lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. You know, there are men, Brother West, that I love, but I ain't going to dinner with them. I ain't going camping with them because they don't affect me the right way. Because they have a spirit I'm worried about. They have a spirit that bothers me because I know whoever I run with, I'm going to eventually be like them. You know, I work with a lot of young preachers. Love to work with young preachers. And I see young men that are in absolute agony about finding the will of God for their ministry. They fast till they puke green bile. And they pray till their eyes cross. Finally, I sat down with one here a while back. I said, son, can I help you? He said, yeah. I said, I found the will of God for you. He said, you have? I said, yeah, can I share it with you? I said, he said, yeah. So I opened my Bible to Micah chapter 6, and verse number 8. And I said, he hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. I am not going to say that this next statement is prophetic utterance. In fact, I'm pretty sure it isn't. But Brother Hale, I wonder if the spirit of prophecy were to come on me right now. And I would speak with prophetic utterance in such a way that nobody here would question whether it was God or not. And the Lord, Brother West, was to speak and say, All right, I want everybody in this building to stop and I want you to... To look around and I want you to imprint on your mental recorder the visage of every person in this room today to where that under any circumstances in the heat of emotion and in the most trying of times you could pull that face into your memory and I want you to to look at them good because from this day on either everybody that's here makes it or nobody makes it. Brother Tate, if the Lord was to speak to me and I really believe that if you didn't make it, I wouldn't make it. I wonder what you would have to do to offend me. I wonder how far you'd have to go before I got angry with you if I really believed that if you didn't make it that I wouldn't make it. And yet, the Lord said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is likened to it, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Brother, I want to make it. I've got to make it. And with many other words, 
did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward, angry, uncontrollable spirit of this hour. Let's stand. Would you just lift your heart and your hands to the Lord for just a minute and let's ask Him to talk to us. Come on. Open your mouth and let's call on Him. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, hallelujah, to the name of the Lord, the Holy Ghost is in this place, the Word of God has found a mark in our hearts right now, and the Spirit of the Lord has approached us, amen, 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 amen. Hallelujah, great, powerful, Holy Ghost words to us today. Everybody that gets in church is going to go through a time where you're going to be tested more than once in that arena of offense, of bitterness. Amen. Praise God. Powerful word of God, Brother Mullins. Thank you so much. Amen. You may be seated today. We are going to have our ordination today. Amen. Let me try this mic again.